Paul, a guy that formerly wanted to kill Christians, was converted and wrote a letter to a church called the Letter to the Philippians. The Letter to, to the Church at Philippi. This is a letter. We call it an epistle. We call Paul an apostle. Why do we think he is worth listening to? Because of his encounter with Jesus. Yes, Paul was a man. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to listen to any Christian preacher. You can go to any Jewish place and you will find teachings of Paul. This is a historical man. And this is a man that was confronted with Jesus, by Jesus. It's not that we just listen to anybody who followed Jesus. We believe that there are divinely inspired men God sought to reveal his word through. So why do we listen to the Apostle Paul? Because he saw Jesus. And that's one of the chief criteria for why we would listen to him. Are there other letters that Paul wrote? Maybe. There very well might be. So why do we choose these ones that are in the Bible? Tradition, church tradition. And we also don't think God messed up when he put this collection of letters in preserved letters together to form what we know as the New Testament. You are either a gospel writer who recorded the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or you have been with Jesus, which is the rest of the New Testament. These letters, this narrative called Acts, which was also written by Luke. So all the books that are in this New Testament were not picked arbitrarily. They're there for a specific reason. We believe Paul, actually we don't just believe, history proves Paul was a man, he was Jewish, and something radically changed in his life. We know the account to be he was confronted by Jesus. And then he was killed by the Romans. You can look that up. He spent his entire life planting churches all across the Mediterranean area. Here, he is writing a letter to the church at Philippi. And in it, basically, his overall message is don't grumble, love each other, and be content in Jesus. He's in prison writing this letter. It's not like he has a lot to gain. So he tells people, shut up your mumblings, get over your petty differences, love one another, and find contentment only in Christ. Which, whatever your circumstance is, is a powerful message. Now, I specifically wanted to focus on this section here, starting in verses 4 and working our way down to verse 11, because of what we are asking you all to do. And because of how Christian conduct needs to be reminded to Christians, we have to remember how, or be reminded and encouraged of how to act toward one another sincerely. It's something that's so easy to forget. Sometimes you get a group of Christians together and they sound like you got a group together drinking at the bar. It's the same conversation sometimes. If nothing else, sometimes it's worse. There's a lady that, was, uh, that my wife and I know very well who said she spent her entire life at church and it's filled with nothing but hypocrites. And maybe you have people too. or Maybe you fall under the lens of uh, Mahatma Gandhi who said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. You know, people that you look to and they say, well, wait, don't you follow Jesus? Well, that's how you follow Jesus. I don't want any part of it. And it's funny, the people that most of the time you get hurt by the most are the ones in your own church, in your own community. 
Those things happen. If any of you have spent any time in a church, you've probably been hurt most by someone in your own community, in your own church. Why is that? Why is it that those are the relationships that are so impactful to the point of us not wanting to go back? A lot of reasons. And that's not really the sermon. The sermon here and the point of this is that as we approach one another, there's one overarching theme that if we are going to follow it, will redeem. What do I mean by redeem? I'm using it the same way Jesus redeems creation. He buys it back. The only way that something can be redeemed is if at first it was lost. Why do I say it was lost? Relationships are broken, aren't they? Children turn against parents. Grandchildren snap at grandparents. Siblings fight. Friends betray. Relationships are broken. You can't deny that. So when we say redeemed, I don't mean Jesus just redeems our souls and everything else he didn't care about. No. The gospel cares about your relationships too. And it serves as the example for how we should treat one another. Let me show you. Let's look here. Chapter 2. Paul's going to, I'm going to read these. It's not the focus, but I'm starting verse 1. What verse are you starting at? 3? Okay, perfect. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, it's a funny word, isn't it? Bowels of mercies. Fulfill you my joy. That you would be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Well, as who? He's calling us in verses 1 and 2 to have this similar attitude. And here he says in verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in humility, lowliness, but in humility as the English Standard Version reads it, in humility and lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other better than themselves. What's that verse saying? Well, it's simple. We must think of others more highly than ourselves. Started my classroom when all the kids came back together. It's been this weird time of virtual learning as a school teacher. They're just sitting behind screens and they've been isolated. When they came back, there would have been two options I could have taken. Let me make all the rules I possibly could. Or make no rules and just let them figure it out. Those are the only two options you could have had. Well, if I chose this way, make every single rule possible, what I'm really saying is that when I tell them all these rules, all their problems will be fixed. And that's not true. It doesn't fix one problem, them wanting to follow the rules, does it? You, I could put in a church handbook, here are the rules you must follow to be a Christian, but that doesn't make you want to obey them, does it? Maybe even your parents, they had a curfew, they had chores, they had different jobs you had to do. What they really wanted was you want to do those things, but you didn't. Why? Because we are broken. We need to be redeemed. So I could have gone that way. I also could have said, ah, you'll figure it out. Well, that assumes that inherently we are good. If I just let people figure out their own way, that means I think they're going to do everything right in general. So I didn't leave those two options. I had one rule. When my kids came back into the classroom, I had one rule. And it was this one. Now, I always disguise it. I'm a public school teacher. I can't just say, okay, kids, open your Bible. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Here's the rule for the class. I had one rule. This one. 
Let each esteem others better than themselves. In other words, think of others more highly than yourself. That's not just morality. That's not just a boy. That's a really good principle. It is. It's a gospel presence in the world of most of these kids think they're the most important person in the world. Maybe some of your coworkers think they're the most important person in the world. Maybe you think you're the most important person in the world. Regardless, what has to be transformed is not the set of rules. What must be transformed is you wanting, wanting to do good. The Bible says that no, none are good. No, not one. Jesus himself, the son of God says, none are good. No, not one. We don't want good. If you read in the uh, book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it's really simple. God looks down and says, well, as a result of sin, every imagination, every thought of man is purely evil. That doesn't mean we can't do good. It means we don't want to do good. And we're capable, doesn't mean we all do, but we are capable of being as bad as humanly possible. That's what the Bible teaches. So I could let my kids just go as they were. I could let create all these rules, but it doesn't change them wanting to do the rules. It's this one simple. Let each other esteem each other better than themselves. Think of others more highly than yourself. Put others before yourself. Golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? It's really good moral teaching. But if you just leave it there, it falls short. It doesn't make someone want to do it. And that's what redemption is. Let's keep reading. Look not every man on his own needs, but every man also on the things of others. Here's the kicker. Read this, highlight it, underline it, grab a pen, grab a pencil. Remember this verse, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, King James translation, which is what I'm reading from, we've got the ESV here. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Why is there a difference? Because the word yours in the Greek is actually there right in where it says also in the Greek. Now, when the King James language was written, it doesn't make sense to say, have this mind in you, which is yours, that was in Christ, which is yours. It was repetitive, and it didn't make sense in the way they spoke. In the ESV, with language changing, it's really saying this, have this mind among you, which is yours, in Christ. Does that mean that this mind Jesus had is now our mind? Or is it an example? I've heard both. And I think there's a really good argument for either, however you translate it. I think the best argument, though, is that the mind Paul is calling you to have is a descriptor. It is yours in Jesus Christ because of this new covenant, the Holy Spirit transforming your mind. And then Paul says, here's what that mind looks like. So, 
King James translations, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, makes it sound like we take literally the mindset, the attitude, the the perception of behavior out of Jesus and put it in ourselves. That's true. Why? You cannot serve God through a carnal mind. What do I mean by carnal? I mean, you wanting to serve God naturally will not happen. You won't. You won't want Jesus unless you are encountered by Jesus and he transforms you. That's the only way you could want to do what Paul's about to describe. But rather than just leave it this mystic thing, what does it mean to have the mind of Jesus? Paul is literally going to describe it word for word. Let's look at it. Verse 6, who? Being in the form of God. That word there, form, means literally the nature of God. Being in the nature of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, is the English Standard Translation. What does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus grasping was reaching for equality with God? No. It meant He is equal with God. He was holding on to that equality with God. It was his. It was his in hand. And if he was grasping it, holding it, he was equal. That means Jesus is God. Fully. Before he came to earth, he was God. Did you catch it? Jesus coming into our context of history, did not make him God and king. Jesus dying on a cross and rising from the dead did not make him God or king. He was before time existed. That's why he alone can say, I am. I tell you this, before Abraham was, I am. Is what Jesus tells the Pharisees in the temple in the book of John. Here's a thought for you. Do you realize no one else on earth or in time could say, I am? You ready to get a mental headache for you? You just changed in the two seconds it took me to say that. You are no longer the same person you were two seconds ago. How do I know that? Well, you just got older. Therefore, physically, you've changed. You just learned something, so mentally you've changed. And you just moved. I saw it. Viola just adjusted her mask. She moved. I saw it right then and there. Do you know what that means? You are incapable of ever saying, I am. You are incapable of ever saying, I am. Do you know who can? The person, the divine being, who created time because he is outside of time. God and Christ and the Holy Spirit, this trinity, three distinct persons being each fully and solely God, is the only being in all of creation who can say, I am, and never change. Jesus is not just a moral teacher. A moral teacher will die. He's also not just an example. He is an example, but nevertheless, always more. Here, 
Paul says, who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, being equal to God, he empties himself. King James translation, verse 7, if we want to keep going, says, but made himself of no reputation, but emptied himself is the Greek word. Literally, gave up divine privilege and powers, not making him less than God, but in an act of service. He didn't look at being God as an excuse not to suffer. Why am I bringing up suffering? Because that is the example Paul is calling this church to follow. Let's keep going. And took upon him the form, the nature, same word, of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. God gave up his divinity, all of his power and his utmost position in the cosmos for the sake of being made in the likeness of you. God enters our context. You ever think about it like this? If God had come to earth, would he have had to speak a human language? Couldn't he have appeared in some crazy science fiction light and incapable of understanding? I forget the movie's name now. But it was several years ago, aliens showed up, right? I just described 15 movies in the past 10 years. But this ship shows up. And these people, they get this translator, this linguistics expert. And she gets up there. And they start drawing smoke on a piece of glass. The aliens do. And they make these weird, like, whale sounds, okay? Isn't it stand to reason that God could have presented himself like that? That doesn't it stand to reason and logic that God could have shown up and just said, and been perfectly justified? He's God. He created everything. Instead, here's the mind-blowing thing that I don't want you to ever miss. In the form of a servant, Jesus made himself understandable. He made himself known and able to be known. God, who knew the secret parts of the universe, who could have cited details that ancient Israel would have never understood, did not think himself so superior and highly, though he should, To make himself ununderstandable. He literally entered our context of understanding. He literally made himself capable of being understood. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. Why? The same thing Paul is calling you to do. The same thing Paul is telling this church to do. 
making himself of no reputation, emptying himself, made himself a servant in the likeness of man, and verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. Jesus doesn't just enter our frame of understanding so we can know him. He enters our experiences. Jesus does not just come walk around and say, boy, you guys have it rough down here. In English, or well, in this case, Arabic. He doesn't do that. He makes himself understand what it means to suffer. He makes himself to understand pain. And above all else, Jesus makes himself to understand death. What did God have to give up to understand death? What did he have to give up for the sake of showing you his love and unfailing mercy? To understand you, God gave up power and divine position as he was for the sake of understanding the human condition called death. Wow. Wow. How can you ever get over that? How can you ever just say, yeah, Jesus died on a cross and rose again, and now I'm going to live like the devil? Being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. He learned obedience, is how the Hebrew writer says. Does that mean God didn't know everything? That's when I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I find myself on both sides of the coin, right? Woman touches him in a crowd with the issue of blood. It's recorded in John. He says, who touched me? I perceive virtue has gone out of me. Then there's other times where God knows the thoughts of someone sitting under a fig tree two miles away. God knows that there's a donkey tied to a post in a city a mile away. It's weird, okay? It's weird. And I can't even begin to explain the complexities of that. What I can tell you, according to Scripture, is that Jesus empties himself, takes on our context, knows what it's like to be a human that he created, and not only knows what it's like to be a human, he knows what it's like to be a human to the fullest extent, death. Jesus knows. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Why? Logic. Why should Jesus die? He never sinned. Why should Jesus be counted among image bearers? Men, you, me. He is God. And Paul seems to say in verse 9 that because of Jesus' death on a cross, has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. What are we talking about? 
not just the physical anymore. We have now entered the upside down as Stranger Things talks about. We have entered this spiritual realm that Christ seems to have dominion over just as he has dominion over your everyday activities. You playing cards, Jesus is king of. He's also king of the things unseen. The powers, as Paul says, the principalities. And you know what? It'd be really healthy for all of us just to be able to say, yes, they exist, and I don't understand them. It'd be really good for all of us. Because we're willing to say, Jesus is in charge of all the things that I can see. But then when it comes to the weird stuff that we really don't know, that we really are going to just grasp at straws on, Jesus is king of those things too. Why? Because of his example, death on a cross, he gave himself and he never had to. Because of that, God, before that plan was set in motion, knowing it would happen, has given him this name, this title, that at the name of Jesus, all things must submit, bow, declare him Lord. By your words, by your thoughts, by your actions, you must declare Jesus Lord. And if you choose not to now, my friends, there is coming a day where you must. Because you won't be able to help yourself. See, God is God over your addictions. Got me? That's not your control. God is God over your pain. It's not something you can find self-pity in. It's something you can say God has given me and he's also given you the grace to see you through it. God is the God and Lord over every element of your life whether you want him to be or not. There's coming a day where he'll prove it to you. He'll show you. You think you were God of your own universe? Let me rock your world. That every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. The Father. Same title given. There's no lesser than. There's service. So why did we just spend 15 minutes on this theological deep dive of who Jesus is? It's simple. So that we can think of others more highly than ourselves. Why do we know those deep things of God? Because they change your everyday actions. Why must we understand the example of Christ? Because evidently God cares about how you treat your friends. He gives you the example of service. And it's not just, let me take your tray for you. Please let me hold the door open. It's an attitude behind those things. It's it's a redeeming attitude. If Jesus is who he says he is, is, if he is truly Lord of all creation, master of all domains, king of everything, then why wouldn't he be the king of your attitude towards one another? Why wouldn't he be the ultimate example of how we can treat one another? God gave up all worthy pride, all worthy glory for one purpose. 
to redeem you. You didn't just do it for a boy. It'd be fun if I knew what it was like to die on a tree. No. <laughs> he did it for the glory of God to redeem all of creation unto himself. That's why. That's why. That's why. It's not for you to have a mansion. It's for you to glorify him. How do you do it? Service. Simple. Service. You look at others' needs more highly than your own. Sometimes that need is understanding. Sometimes that need is to understand. Really easy, and, and you know, I, I see it. There can be sometimes age gaps. Sincerely, I did my best to set up our Bible studies. Like, say, people came in, well, I got an assigned seat. No, you don't. I'm just trying to mix up the room so that there is some diversity. Literally, that's what I'm trying to do. Because it's funny how people will call younger people into something like, oh, you just need to act like me, or, you know, these are the things that I always liked. When you have not made yourself a servant to understand where they are, we can write all of it off. All these kids today, if they were just... If they would just put the phone down, they would understand and they would see so much better things. Do you ever want to know why they have a phone in their hands? Have you ever tried to understand that? And and maybe you just don't care. Maybe it's like I don't need to understand it. And maybe you think you've got some general, like, overarching fix for it. Anything that isn't Jesus isn't a fix. Not only that, If you are calling people to something and never seeking to understand them, you're not doing it the way Jesus did, who gave up glory for the sake of understanding what it means to be human. We don't have a high priest that can't understand, but one that can empathize with what it means to die. He did that as an example to serve. So maybe you're saying, I can't connect with my kids. Have you ever tried to understand them? Have you ever tried to enter their context of how they see the world? And by the way, that is not an old against young. Any age, any difference, husband, wife, child, grandparent, service, is entering their context of understanding without judgment. Because the only one who can judge entered their context for understanding. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your neighbors? They listen to that loud rap music. What does it mean for you when... Your spouse doesn't like golf or fishing. It's funny. Oh, we've got so many problems in our marriage. So so many problems in our marriage. Have you ever both just tried to understand each other? Have you ever said, well, why don't you go do this with me? Have you ever just said, what do you want to do? I'm seeing this as a father. So easy. Hey, Mal, you want to go play disc golf? That kid doesn't care anything for disc golf. She's two. Daddy, you want to play on the floor? It may sound so asinine and so simple, but my friends, that is literally what Jesus did. Literally what Jesus did. He entered our frame of context. He could have come across with angelic tongues and spiritual sayings 
and omnipotence and power and mystery and glory and lightning and smoke. He didn't. He came in the form of a man. He was tempted like a man. Ate, breathed, walked around, laughed, cried, and died like a man. If that's not the perfect example of service, I don't know what is. There's no difference that you cannot overcome. Not in your marriage, not in your relationships with your family. We were at enemy with God. If you're going to say, well, I can't get into their context because you don't know what they did to me. As I have said so many times, I'm not saying you can't be hurt, but don't go to hell over it. Don't hang on to your grudge to the point you're in flames. Just seek to understand. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. And the only way you can want to do it is by having the Holy Spirit transform your mind. So let's make that our prayer. God, we confess to you that we do not want to do the things you have called us to. It's evident in our words. It's evident in our thoughts. It's evident in our actions. Paul, he himself confessed those things to you. So Lord, we stand claiming that we're human. We're broken. We're sinners. But we thank you for the example by which we can know what good is. We can know the right way to live. Because you yourself lived that way. You yourself cannot just give us an example. So many other religions give an example. But you, God, redeemed us of sin. You paid the price for our rebellion. Now, Father, by your Spirit, may you move us with compassion on those around us, seeking to understand, seeking to make known your glory through service through wanting to know each other, through loving, even to the point of loving to the point of suffering. Make that our minds. Give us that attitude by only your spirit because no other way could we have it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.